Hi everyone, my name is Johnny McCormick and you're listening to Spoke. I'm so excited to kick off season two with this conversation with Sarah Tasker. You might know Sarah from her really popular Instagram account, Me and Orla, or as the host of the podcasts Hashtag Authentic and Letters from a Hopeful Creative. She's also written a book called Hashtag Authentic, which came out recently. If you do know her, then you'll understand why I was so excited to sit down and have this conversation with her. And if you don't know her yet, then settle in, because you're about to be introduced to one of the most lovely people on the internet. Sarah has managed to pivot what started as an Instagram hobby to document her daughter's formative years into a business that she now runs from home. She talks about that journey from hobby to business and how that was for her, what it means to her family and what success really means to her. We cover so much great stuff in this conversation and I don't want to delay any further. So here we go. Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today and come on the podcast. It's so exciting to have you here as a guest. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thanks, Sarah. So I always like to give people the opportunity to introduce themselves. I find that that's the best way um, for them to ex- to explain what they do themselves to our listeners, because I always do a bit of a botched job up front and it, <laughs> it, naturally it doesn't cover everything that you do. So how do you normally introduce yourself when you're doing things like this? I've sort of narrowed it down. So I say, I'm Sarah Tasker. Um, my online name is me and Orla, and I help people learn to tell stories online through words and pictures, which is kind of one of those things like that's my elevator pitch because what I do, like what all of us tend to do these days is so rangy and covers so many different areas of different things. Um, so that's kind of the, the grain of truth at the, at the center of everything I do. That's great. And I must say, it sounds very professional. So uh, <laughs> well, well done and well done and getting it down to a T. So if we were to, um, I suppose, double click on that a little bit, Sarah, what exactly does that look like? Like what is sort of your typical day or your typical week look like in your business? So I have my own podcast, which is called Hashtag Authentic. Um, and recently I've started another podcast with a friend, which is called Letters from a Hopeful Creative. So um, I'm putting episodes of those out each week. I teach classes mainly on Instagram. So it's kind of taking pictures, how to find your audience, how to communicate what it is you're trying to communicate with the world, whether that's as a business owner or maybe as a blogger or a creative. Um I also do some freelance writing, I do some freelance photography, and I hang out on social media far too much. <laughs> it sounds like you're super busy then. And you mentioned in your um, your initial intro that your online presence, or your online name is Me and Dorla. Can you tell us a little bit, um, Sarah, about how that came about? Where did that come from? Yeah, so that was, I was on maternity leave five years ago with... Um, my first and only child, Orla. She's this little tiny baby and I wanted some way of documenting kind of how fast life was changing then. So I started an Instagram account and that's kind of where it all bloomed from. So the Instagram account took off really quickly. It became a blog. It became kind of different social media channels. And then I got really interested in teaching people how I'd done that. Um, and that's evolved into being my full-time business. And now my husband is is working for it full-time as well. So it's kind of, it's lovely that it's all centered around our daughter. But it is also like one of those things where now I'm like, me and Orla does not describe what I do, but it's what I'm known, that's the name I'm known by. And I'm constantly kind of, should I rebrand? What if I had a second child? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that's difficult to try and understand how you evolve something like that because I guess one of the one of the things that I like so much about your online presence and your Instagram is how sort of organic it is. It's very, like you say, very centered around where you are, your family, the things that you do. And in some senses, it must be quite difficult to think about moving away from something like that. Yeah, that's it. And and kind of, I don't want it to become a business that's just about one thing because it's never been that. And I love that it has the scope to keep evolving. So and also, I think possibly I'm just resisting rebranding because we all know what a headache it is. It's just, just a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sarah, did you always do stuff like this? Like, were you always an online person? Were you a writer before you stumbled into, um, you know, being quite big on Instagram? What's What's your background and how did you come into this world? So I was always these things as a hobby, like always an early internet adopter, spending far too much time on forums. Remember forums? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of even pre-social media and had various blogs over the years. But I worked for the NHS in speech therapy. Um, I was there nearly 10 years um, working with children with special needs. Absolutely loved it. And that was the job I was on maternity leave from. So kind of on paper, then they're, they're not related at all. But what I was what I was doing all the time was focusing on communication and helping people who had no way of communicating find a voice and find a way to get their message across. A lot of the time these were children with disabilities and they had no literally no way of kind of verbally communicating. So it was how can I help you still have like a social life and still be able to tell people what you're feeling. Um, and I feel like that actually really did set me up very well for what I do now because it's still that core thing of how do I get my message across? Like how how do I get heard when there's so much noise and there's so much kind of distraction around me and maybe I haven't got the right tools? How can I still get my voice to count? Mm, yeah, so there's a definite connection um, between between those two worlds. Do you think, um, so Sarah, sorry, I'm, I'm just interested. You said you were on maternity leave when you started this, when you started your sort of your me and Orla journey. Did you hit it big immediately on maternity leave and then just decide to not go back into working at the NHS? Or how did that sort of journey come about where you were moving from, you know, full-time paid employment in the public sector to being an online presence and earning, I suppose, most of your or all of your income from the internet? Yeah, it's a good question. So my account grew quite big while I was on maternity leave. But back then, that didn't necessarily mean anything. So I had a big following. And I'd get sent, you know, the occasional free pair of shoes, which was lovely. Don't get me wrong. Like I had no money on maternity leave. This was a joy. But it certainly wasn't going to be able to pay the mortgage. Um, but I sort of had a sense, I think a lot of people get this when they have kids. Um you kind of, I had a sense that I wanted a change. I was ready for a change and needed to kind of prove myself in some ways. And so I was kind of looking around for like, how do I turn this into something sustainable, something that, because I knew it could be, I knew it had the potential. So I went back to work after my kind of year of maternity leave was up. Um, and I was juggling both and kind of blogging and taking on some sponsored work and just trying different revenue streams, trying different ways of monetizing it to see what worked. And kind of looking back now, it was a really tough year, like kind of, you know, a lot of like 1am, 2am finishes and then getting up at seven for work. But um, 
it it paid off and I was able to eventually, I probably could have taken the leap a little bit sooner than I did. I probably had about two or three months where I was kind of doubling my income essentially, but working ridiculous hours um, because it was really scary to leave that structure and that world of kind of, you know, like I thought that was the job I was going to do until I retired. So to, to take that step away and say, okay, I'm going to take this leap. And as I left my job, my manager said to me, I hope the internet bubble doesn't burst too soon. <laughs> and, and then I, that was it. And off I went. There's so much in that answer that I'm um, really interested in and, and want to go after. So I suppose one of the things that really stands out to me is that you were double hatting, if you like. So you had your full-time job in the NHS, and then you were coming home and putting in a second shift. And you were doing mm. all of that with a one-year-old which is just yeah. you know completely remarkable to me so hats off to you that's an incredible an incredible achievement suppose one of the one of the things I'm really interested in Sarah is what was that moment or what were some of the moments that made you think I can do this or this is this is possible because um suppose one of the things that interests me is what your manager said to you, you know, I hope that internet bubble doesn't burst too soon. And actually, in some senses, whenever people think about starting out by themselves, people like that that vocalise it are actually probably a lot of the times vocalising things that we're feeling ourselves. I, I left, you know, paid stable employment last year to start mm. my own thing. And I certainly had the, the same things kicking around in the back of my head as, you know, what I'm, I'm leaving a really, really comfortable, stable job to go and do something that's so uncertain. So what were some of those moments there that made you think, you know, or give you the confidence to think that this is possible? That is a really good question because like you say, the, the self-doubt is already there. You don't need someone to vocalise it because that's what keeps you up at night. Um, I think a big a big part of it for me was just the feeling that if I didn't do it now, I was going to always regret it. Um, I remember talking to a friend who is a psychotherapist about it um, and he said something that really stuck with me. He said, you might take the sleep and do it for two years and then maybe the work does dry up but that's not failure like you've had an amazing two years and you've had all that time together as a family and you've seen where it goes and you're never going to have any regrets like that's a good choice to make for yourself that that it doesn't have to be as black and white as this has to pay for everything for the rest of my life and that kind of gave me a little bit of freedom I'd never thought of it that way because we're so ingrained aren't we in the idea of like jobs for life and yeah, everything has to has to be kind of so black and white. Um, and I was increasingly having to miss really good opportunities because I didn't have enough annual leave or I couldn't take the day off work. So I was kind of turning down invitations to lovely events in London um, or kind of press press coverage that I just couldn't be there for to do the photo shoot. So I kind of I was aware that I was at a point where I was holding myself back. But I think mostly it just came it came from inside me. It came from that feeling of just, I had this potential and I'd, I'd kind of been kicking it to the curb for quite a number of years um, to stay where I was comfortable. And now it kind of woken up. I was like, I can't let this slide. I suppose speaking to a psychotherapist, that's a, it's a really good person to speak to about something like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, bit of a free session over coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um one thing that's coming to mind now is I see you as someone who's really successful online and, you know, I hope you don't mind me bringing it up because I know you've mentioned it publicly a number of times that you've turned what was a hobby at one stage into this sort of multiple six figures per year business. And whenever I 
first read that when you when you first shared it, I was um, a little bit shocked. But I actually, I, I remember thinking to myself, that actually makes total sense. <laughs> it makes makes total sense that that um, that is a multiple six figures per year per year business. Can you just help us understand a little bit? about what motivated you to share something that in certainly in the UK or in British culture, you know, we're quite prim and proper and your private life is your private life. And uh, someone like my grandmother, for example, would never dream of sharing um, what she earns, for example, online. What what was it that motivated you to put something like that out into the public forum? Yeah, it, I mean, it is scary. It's scary to do because I, I still have that narrative in my head of like, you don't talk about money, especially women. Women don't talk about money. And, you know, it's bragging and all of that stuff, which was obviously not my motivation. But I just really felt like this whole industry is kind of smoke and mirrors. No one's really talking about the money of it very often. Um, And it's really hard because you kind of have these dreams and you have these ambitions and you think maybe I can do this, but you've got no cold, hard facts that you can kind of take to your husband to say, look, this is a possibility or, you know, just just to take to bed with you at night so that when you wake up at 3 a.m. and worry about how you're going to pay the mortgage, you've got something, a little bit of evidence that actually this is all possible. I feel like as a whole, like kind of the whole industry of social media and blogging is still not entirely taken seriously. I don't know if you can relate to that or maybe some of your listeners, but, uh, you know, for a whole generation, they kind of see it like my manager is like a bubble that's going to burst. It's a flash in the pan. It's a fad. Um, So I feel like for people to really take it seriously and really see it as a contender, we need to get better at talking about it as a business, talking about kind of the finances of it, the potential of it. Not everybody needs to make six figures. Not everybody wants to make six figures. But if you need to make 25K so that you can leave your day job and and do your passion full time, knowing that that's possible, knowing that people are making more than that, I think that that is a really powerful message. Mm. Have you had many other people reach out to you, Sarah, with sort of the realization that it was possible because you have shared something like that? Yeah, overwhelmingly, like hundreds and hundreds of messages and still do actually like I put it out on Twitter and Instagram quite a while ago, but still get probably a couple of emails a week from people saying like, thank you, because I think they they recognize that it's it's kind of scary. Um, but sometimes, you know, when you when you're running your own business, you need something on the horizon to keep working towards and if nobody gives you that you're kind of stumbling in the dark like you know those years when you're not making any money the first year in my business when I went full-time I I didn't make I don't think I even matched what I was making in my NHS day job and it's really scary to think this could be it this could be as big as it grows and I don't know I don't know if I've kind of invented a business here that doesn't really exist so to see kind of on the horizon and say well other people are doing this other people are making it possible I think that is a really motivating thing so that's really interesting that you talk about you you don't you've got that niggle in the back of your head that you don't know whether or not you've just invented a business or a business (laughs) model that doesn't that doesn't exist so how how in that context or with those doubts and especially when you're trying to prove something that a lot of people are still seeing as you know and i'm using air quotes here new or nebulous or um, Mm. maybe a little bit fluffy or fuzzy or they don't really understand it how do you plan for the future so if you're, if you're treating this like a business Sarah how do you plan you know one year five year ten years out like how do you think about growing your business or where you're going next with a brand like me and Orla so it's a tricky one isn't it because 
you need to stay so responsive and looking five years into the future, it's pretty impossible to predict what social media will even look like. What platforms will exist? Will it all be on holograms? Like, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> who knows where we're going to be five years from now? So I can't on a really tangible, practical level plan for that. But I think it's about, I think it's about the big picture stuff. So for me, like at the moment, a lot of my work is around teaching Instagram, but I'm aware that Instagram, like all social media, will probably have a time when it reaches its peak and then it starts to kind of ebb away and people move on to the next platform, whatever that will be. Um, so I don't want to keep my business pinned to just one platform. So a lot more of my teaching and a lot more of my work over the last couple of years and kind of just organically anyway has become about the wider picture of your own business. And so you've got a business that's based on social media. How do you make that work? How do you market it? Um, how do you find your customers? How do you kind of structure your messaging? All of that stuff that's actually very transferable. So I'm kind of constantly evaluating my business in that sense of like, how do I future proof this? How do I make it so that it's robust enough and flexible enough to move on to whatever comes next? Um, and then the the other thing that the only thing that you can do is remind yourself that you've built a skill set and you've learned so much over the last however many years that when things change, you'll be creative again and you'll be able to figure out a new path and a new route to take your business on. Yeah, you've done it before, you can do it again. Exactly. And also kind of the message that you don't have to make the same amount of money every year. That's the other thing about that kind of multiple six figure. Like, yes, that's what we're making at the moment. And we're in a really exciting period in the business. But it may well be that in two years time, Instagram is maybe, you know, not as not as compelling for people and they don't want to buy my classes on it. And I decide I want to write some fiction or I want to go in a completely different direction. So we take a year where it's, you know, we go back to that kind of starter income that we were on. Um, and I think that's a really healthy message that we don't hear very often in business as well, is that it it, it doesn't have to be constant growth. It doesn't have to be, oh, well, I made that much this year, so I've got to double it next year. As long as you are making an income that supports the lifestyle that you want to live, then you get to choose how much you how much you work and how much you spend. Yeah, and that's a really interesting way to think about this business slash lifestyle because I think in some senses that flies in the face of normal or accepted business convention where it is yeah. you've, you've made x revenue one year you're expected to make a multiple of that next year and continue that growth trajectory upwards so I think that's a really healthy approach Sarah really, really yeah thanks, I, thanks very much for sharing that I think we're kind of in this age now where we are looking for different metrics of success. And for some people, it may, might still be, I just want to make as much money as I want to make. And there is nothing wrong with that. I certainly don't judge anyone for that. But for other people, it might be, I want to make enough to spend more time with my family. Or I want to make enough so that I can take two years off and travel around the world. Or I want to make enough so I only have to work two days a week. And they are equally valid and you get to choose. So, yep. yeah. It's like a, like a, like a build-your-own-adventure business. That's exactly it. Yes. I love that. Um, Sarah, you've mentioned a few times an Instagram course or teaching people Instagram. Can you help me understand what exactly would someone need to be taught about Instagram? Is it not just a social network where you can post nice pictures? Well, it is. And if you want it to just be that, then it absolutely can stay that way and you don't have to overthink it. But for a lot of people, they're aware that it's a really valuable tool. I mean, it built my business and it's launched a lot of other people's businesses too. And the people I speak to kind of in my day to day, 90%, 100% of their leads and their business comes via Instagram. So wow. it, yeah, so it, it can kind of, you know, make or break a business if, if 
that's the way that you choose to communicate. So what we teach, what I teach in my classes, it's all around your storytelling and getting your message across. And that thing I said at the beginning with words and with pictures. So we really look at how do you take a picture with whatever you've got, your smartphone, your lovely camera that you can't get off auto, or maybe you're like a pro photographer, but how do you take a picture that gets your message across, that gets people's interest, but also doesn't suck up your entire day so that you're not spending like four hours arranging a cup of tea to get the perfect shot. Um, how do you feature your products if you've got like a physical product? How do you feature it in a way that doesn't feel like a catalog? Because we know that people on Instagram don't just want to see those same pictures that they can see on your website. And how do you write captions that let people get to know you and get to see the parts of you that they need to see in order to trust you enough to invest in your business or whatever it is you're doing. So you mentioned how do you how do you not spend four hours taking a picture of a cup of tea, for example. <laughs> and I actually, you know, I would look at your feed sometimes, Sarah, and think, Jeepers, how do you even go about creating a shot like that? And uh, so how, how long would you normally spend on an Instagram post, for example? What, what sort of, what's your process or what's your creative process that goes into that? Like one, any one of my photos has never taken me more than three minutes because I have wow. the worst attention span. <laughs> and some people really love it and they can craft these incredible images where they really delicately place things and, and hats off to them. I absolutely adore that imagery, but I'm not that kind of person. I just, I'm a rusher. I like to get stuff done. So yeah, my images are always quick and easy. Um, and that's kind of how I teach as well. Um, that said, sometimes you'll see me in an amazing location and I've dragged my family on like an hour long trek to get there. So sometimes there's a bit more time involved with that, um, or the post-production and the editing. Um, and then obviously there's the time that you're actually posting it and doing things like research around hashtags and strategies, but the actual images themselves, I would say are always as quick as I can possibly make them. What would you say to someone who's maybe listening to this podcast has um, never really thought about social media seriously and is maybe starting to think to themselves, well, I could I could maybe give this a crack. What would you say to someone who has seen your success online and maybe wants to emulate even a small a small part of that for themselves? I would absolutely say just dive in. I think we can over prepare and we can have this idea that you have to take a class like mine first or read everything first. And actually the best way to get started is always to just have a go to find some people who are doing stuff you like and look at what they're doing and think about how you can learn from that and find out what kind of pictures you want to take or find out what kind of stuff you want to put on your Twitter. The other thing I always really push people to do is just figure out where their interest is because you might hear that, oh, Pinterest is the great place to be or Instagram is where you should be. But if that's not what appeals to you if you don't find that fun then you're going to make it a chore for yourself it's going to like you're going to build your business on something that you don't enjoy which is hopefully not what we're kind of trying to do here so um follow your interest and some some months I'm like oh I'm just not I'm not really into Instagram and I'm all about Twitter and then I go back to Instagram and I'm really obsessive about it for a few months and I think that's fine again that's a message you don't hear very often but for me I'm always like how can I make this kind of play to my strengths how can I build a business around the way I'm feeling and the way I'm working rather than the opposite and trying to force myself to fit into a mold mm. 
yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I've one final question on sort of your your business side before I ask you maybe a few more um, personal questions. And I've been trying sure. to think of a, a non-blunt or a non-cheesy way of asking oh. a question. And I haven't, I haven't come up with one yet, so I'm just going to ask it and allow you to respond in whatever way <laughs> comes out. Um, Sarah, how does it feel to be so successful um, today? Um, it doesn't feel like I'm so successful. <laughs> Honestly, it doesn't. Like, it's lovely to hear that. But um, immediately all the voices in my head go, oh, well, he doesn't realize that actually. Um, and I think that's probably true for most success. Wherever you get to, you're always looking to the next milestone or to the next person above you and thinking, well, that's success. And when I get there, then maybe I'll feel successful. Um, I remember when I thought, oh, if I had a blue tick, that I'd feel like, you know, totally validated. And then it happens and you think, oh, damn it, I feel exactly the same as I did before. Um, and I, I work with a coach, her name's Sass Petherick, and she teaches all about self-belief. And I know that the message that she she's really instilled in me and that I'm still always working towards is that it has to come from within. It has to kind of come. You have to accept success for yourself rather than looking for it from the outside. But um, yeah, it's a work in progress. So how do you go about Because Right. So I think there's something in humans just in, innate within us that's like, what's next? Right. So we're always mm -hmm. we're always thinking about what what that next frontier is or what the next thing for us is. But how do you go about appreciating what you've got now? Because I think sometimes if we were to project ourselves back 10 years in the past and look at where we've got to now, if we were in that 10 years ago spot, we'd, we'd probably a lot of us be thinking, gosh, I really wish I could have have that and how do yeah. you sort of appreciate what you've got in in the now actually I have um a morning routine I do any work morning where I sit down and it's it's called the three minute morning I can't remember the name of the author but I'm sure you could find it um and it's a journal you can buy on Amazon and he's got a bit of research at the start or you could literally just kind of do it in a notebook but you start the day by saying um what you're grateful for what you're working towards and what you're going to let go of and um, I find that really focuses me because sometimes sometimes what I'm grateful for is like I'm grateful for my coffee. I'm grateful that it's sunny. But a lot of the time what I'm grateful for is like my amazing community that I have around me. I'm really grateful for the time to do the work that I want to do. I'm really grateful for my husband who really supports me and helps me and, and helps me build this business. Um, and for me, that, that little moment of reflection every day is just a chance to kind of, like you say, to check in on on where you're up to and, and how much you've got right now. Because it is really easy to kind of keep chasing, chase that next goal, chase those measures of success or those really traditional metrics of success that we talked about that however much you might say, I, that's not what I want, it's really easy to still get sucked into what other people want for you. Um, so kind of checking in, whether that's like through meditation or whether that's through just a conversation with your husband or your, your partner or something like that journaling exercise, I do think, as cheesy as it sounds, it is actually a really practical way of kind of getting your brain into the right place. Yeah, I love that. I think it's, you know, one thing that I haven't been great at potentially in the mm. past is build, building that into a routine, because I think that that's a really good way of grinding you in the, the sort of the gratitude mentality, if you like. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I had um, a guest on my podcast called Megan Hayes, and she's written a book about positive journaling um, that I would recommend people go and check out. But she talks about how 
gratitude journaling is kind of a thing. A lot of people have heard of it, but there's all other positive emotions that we're experiencing all the time as well that we don't necessarily dwell on. And it's so fleeting that we just let it go. And then we we dwell on the negatives far more. And most people, if they pick up a journal or anything like that, tend to write out all the hard stuff that they're going through. And, and we don't write about the happy stuff. So she's written a whole book on kind of focusing on those positive emotions, focusing on the positive through writing, through kind of a, just a really simple practice every day. So that's something I've been trying to do more of as well. I think, like you say, it's so easy to focus on the challenges in the day or there may be the things that come to mind whenever you're in that reflective space, but forcing ourselves to be a bit more present and realise the good things that we've got or the good things that have happened, really, really yeah. important. We don't get a role model for that. Like, I feel like we could teach this in schools. Yeah, um, yeah. We're always taught, how can I do better? What did I do wrong? How do I need to move forwards? Um, and never, how, how have I done well today? Yeah, so true. Sarah, I, I'd i like to now move the, the rest of the conversation in a bit of a direction that's maybe a little bit more personal. So we've talked sure. a lot about your sort of your online presence and your business and me and Orla. Um, I'd like to maybe just ask who some of the people are that are in your life that have had the biggest impact on you and what that impact was. So first of all, I have to say my husband, Rory, who um, just is my I mean everyone says it about the partner don't they but he he is like the stake I'm this windy willowy tree that blows around in all different directions and he holds me steady and keeps me strong um so it's I'm, I would be lost without him quite literally I'd probably just be in bed all the time <laughs> sleeping without him um and I have a friend Helen Stevens who she's a children's writer and illustrator who has always just been such a creative role model she was a parenting role model for me first of all and I think everyone needs one of those people that you can go to when you're doing something scary and building something who who tells you just the practical stuff of like I remember when I first sold my first class and um I made something like 40,000 pounds in in a morning wow. and I, I'd ne like this is someone I'd always been overdrawn always <laughs> always struggled to pay my bills occasionally hiding from like debt collectors at the door always struggled and I had I never had this much money and I had to phone someone and it was Helen and say what do I do I do am I allowed to keep this in my bank like <laughs> do I need a special account I had no idea um so Helen has just always been there to kind of hold my hand um and I do have this amazing tribe of just wonderful friends who who are my whole world as well as of course Orla who is just the best human I know of course that's so so nice thanks for sharing that Sarah um I always like to ask people or not always I, I sometimes like to ask people what their first job was because I think it gives a bit of a I don't know a slightly mm -hmm. unique unique insight into when people started working what their sort of their values were around that so what was your first job and what did you learn from doing that so I worked weekends in Dorothy Perkins selling shoes on the shoe concession um, in an Arndale Centre in Manchester. And what did I learn from that? Do you know, I think what I learned from that is the less you're paid, the harder you physically have to work. And I still think that that's true, actually. So I have, um, we haven't actually mentioned this, but I have a chronic health condition called dysautonomia, which means my autonomic nervous system goes haywire and various controls things like your blood pressure and your pulse various parts of my body like to do unusual things and um 
standing in a shop all day was really, really difficult for me. I didn't have a diagnosis then, so I didn't know why it was really difficult. But I knew that I would go home and my legs, my feet would be really sore. My back would hurt. I would be really, really tired. And the first time I got an office job where I got to sit down at a desk, I was like, I'm getting paid more and I get to sit down all day. Like this is such a luxury. And I still think about that now. It still feels like such a luxury now. I get to stay at home. I don't have to commute. You know, I don't even have to get dressed if I'm having a tough day. Um, and I, I've never really forgotten just how hard kind of those those um, minimum wage jobs kind of are on you. Like they are, they, they can be really grueling and people in those jobs are hustling just as hard as anyone who's running their own business. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I th- think back to one of my first jobs was um, I used to empty the glass recycling bins from a nightclub on the, oh, night, wow. the night after. So me and uh, two of my two of my close friends used to go in the morning after and sort out all the glass. So you, you know, you separated your white glass, your green glass, your brown glass, and we used to just spend probably four or five hours every Saturday and Sunday doing doing that and we got paid i think our, our our initial salary quote unquote was two pounds per hour and then we got a, we got a, we got a pay rise to 250 per hour and we thought we were <laughs> thought we were millionaires but it was so like you say such such hard work to do that mm. um for such for such little money um sarah what is one thing about you that might surprise most people. So what's one thing that um, people listening may go, oh, I didn't didn't realize that or I didn't know that about Sarah? I think it probably is my health and I think it's something I possibly should talk about more um, because it can be really disabling. Like there are some days where it's really hard for me to get out of bed. There are definitely days where I can't leave the house. I can walk normally like a maximum of about 30 minutes, 40 minutes on a good day before I then have to sit down for at least an hour and wait for like my blood to even back out through my body. Um, Like I'm eligible for a blue badge on my car. That's kind of the level of um, impact it has on my mobility. And I want to talk about it more on the one hand, because I feel like actually it's a really important message that you don't have to be kind of, completely able-bodied and, and ticking all the boxes in order to be quote-unquote successful um but I I'm also very aware of what does it mean that I choose to hide it so I you know I go to an event I was at a book launch um in London last week and it was full of kind of media people and magazine people and I very consciously thought okay I'm gonna have to stand up for like an hour here it's gonna be really hard for me by the end of it like my feet were literally bleeding inside my shoes um but I didn't say anything and I pretended that I was like normal and healthy. And I feel like there's so much I need to unpack there in my own head about why am I choosing to kind of hide, hide this thing about me? And what about all the people who don't get to choose, whether that's, you know, you walk into a room and everybody, you've got a very, a very obvious physical disability. Um, or I know lots of women who I speak to, um, women of color who walk into a room and they're, con- they're constantly aware, okay, I'm going to be judged straight away just on my appearance um so I feel like sorry this has become quite a long-winded answer but I feel like there's a lot that I need to unpack there for myself about you know I'm choosing to hide something that makes me different but actually it should be something I put out into the world because not everybody gets the luxury of choosing to hide it and we all need to get better at, at not prejudging people for those things yeah totally totally that makes a lot of sense um Sarah let's you know 
say straight up front, I hope this never happens, obviously. But one one question I always like to ask people is, assuming that your house was on fire, okay, so uh, friends, family, pets, everyone, you know, gets out safely. What's the one thing that you're going to make sure that you try and grab on your way out of the house? Oh, that is a really hard question. Okay. <laughs> um. I have a box of things that were all as when she was a baby, like the little bracelet from the hospital, um, the first outfit she wore, a tiny, tiny nappy that I can't believe she ever fit into. So I'd like to think it was that. But I also have a pair of underpants that Mark Hamill from Star Wars signed for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so it might be a toss up between the two. <laughs> I was I was just about to say, Sarah, that's such a beautiful answer you've given. <laughs> um, you know, so moving, so so nice to to know that mm. that's the one thing you'd reach for. And then this Lose podcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it, uh, it this podcast went in a direction that I'd never expected it to go. <laughs> Sarah, what's um, what's one thing that you would say if you could to the version of yourself from ten years ago? So, what's one thing that you maybe wish you knew then that you know now? I really wish that someone told me it was possible because I kind of I made this thing I'd struggled through it and I got to wherever I am and that was the real thing I kind of was left with I looked back and I was like why did nobody tell me that this is possible and so that's kind of a, a big driver in everything I do now is to try and get that message out to other people who are maybe where I was like I had quite some good quite I had some quite good education um I definitely had a lot of skills but I wasn't you know I wasn't from a family where there was any kind of role models of business there wasn't any kind of entrepreneurial spirit in my family I didn't know anyone that had done that and so it always felt like it was something for someone else to do for other people um and actually it, it can be for anybody and and you don't have to you know, quit your job one day and go, right, I'm starting a business and sit down at your desk and, and start from there. You can start from wherever you are. It can be a side hustle. It can stay a side hustle and just be something you do on the side forever. Um, we we all have choices and it's all possible. Yeah, love that. That's uh, such a nice piece of advice as well for anyone listening that's maybe on the edge of doing something or starting something for themselves. You can do, you can do both at the same time and yeah. when you're ready, you can make a jump. Exactly. And you might never be ready in that line. Yeah, ex- exactly. You may want to just continue earning a little bit on the side or doing it as a hobby. And that's great too. Yes. Sarah, I always like to end the podcast with just a few sort of sillier or quickfire questions if you're up for it. Let's do it. Perfect. So you don't need to think about them too much and you can go into as much or as little detail as you want. So are you someone that prefers reading or watching telly to switch off? reading but actually i tend to fall asleep if i sit with a book too long so audiobooks oh okay great are you so i'm guessing you're subscribed to audible yes and because i'm a russia like i mentioned earlier i like to play them at double speed so everyone sounds slightly like a chipmunk <laughs> you're so, so productive Hashtag product, productivity hack um, i'm really what, not because i'm asleep the rest of the time <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the one book then that you're going to recommend to someone sarah um, Play Big by Tara Moore. Um, it's mainly for women, but I recommend it to everyone. It's an incredible book. Great. And what's give us a brief synopsis? Um, it's all about how you can play bigger in your life. So um, 
all the things that hold us back, all the things that maybe keep us small and in our safe and comfort zones and how we can work past them in really practical ways. It's just, it's a bit of a life-changing book. I think everyone that reads it ends up thinking the same. Perfect. Are you a beach or adventure holiday person? An adventure holiday, but in small doses. So a little bit of an adventure, back somewhere comfortable for a sleep and a pool and then back out for adventure. Yeah, great. That's perfect. What is, maybe this is something that we should have uh, have your husband on to ask him, but what's your <laughs> most most annoying habit, Sarah? Oh, I know what he'd say is wet towels on the bed. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I once said to him, would, would you still love me if I was just a brain in a jar? <laughs> like, if we're in the future and I'm just a brain. And he said, I might love you more because you wouldn't leave wet towels on the bed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it so funny the conversations you have when you've been married a while <laughs> yeah. um sarah do you remember the last time you sang out loud to yourself and do you remember what it was that you were singing yeah i was singing to my budgie last night and i was singing i kissed a bird to the tune of i kissed a girl by Katy perry <laughs> <laughs> oh dear we're getting a real insight into your, into your brain here <laughs> And then one one last question, Sarah. What's your favourite thing to give someone as a gift? Oh, presents are like my superpower. I like to really carefully think about them and buy people things that like they've mentioned four years ago that I've remembered or things that I've noticed that they really need in their life. So I can't give you one answer because it's got to be something really personal. So things that are just deeply unique and personal to that person. Yeah, that they wouldn't even necessarily know exists, but then changes their life. That's what I'm looking for in a quick present. <laughs> wow. Just uh, managing your expectations well there. I love it though. <laughs> yeah. um, Sarah, I always like to give my guest the opportunity to say goodbye themselves. So where is a good place for people to connect with you or find you online? Or is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners? I know, for example, that you're you're working on a book at the moment. Maybe you want to speak a little bit about that. But I'll hand over to you for the next minute or so and you can say goodbye to people. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. This has been so much fun. Um, if you want to find me, you can Google me and Orla. Orla is spelled O-R-L-A. Um, my website's meandorla.co.uk and it's my handle and various different combinations of characters on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. Um, if you want to hear more from me, my podcast is hashtag authentic and that's going to be the name of my book, which is available for pre-order on Amazon at the moment. Wherever you are in the world, you can order it or you can grab the ISBN from Amazon and go to your lovely small independent bookshop and pre-order it there as well, because we should definitely be championing those, of course. Um, and yeah, just come and find me and come and have a chat. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm always around online. I spend far too much time on social media procrastinating. So I would love to hear from people. Perfect. Sarah, thank you so much. Like genuinely, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It was an absolute joy speaking with you and having you on the show. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. And congratulations on such a brilliant podcast.